It's good to be in God's house this morning, isn't it? I'll be honest, I almost didn't make it this morning because about eight miles that way on 25, as I was driving, the devil decided to distract me and a big turkey came out on the side of the road and had a beard down here and I almost wrecked because I was in admiration because it's almost turkey season. Um, so if you have any hunters in the room, about eight miles down 25, there's a turkey waiting for you here in just the next few weeks. <laughs> And if you're not a hunter and I was politically incorrect, I apologize. <laughs> it is good to be in Bloomfield. Uh, honored to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad. I am a pastor at Cape First in Cape Girardeau. I've been there. It will be two years this June. Before that, I pastored a, a, a church in Carothersville, Missouri. Does anybody know where Carothersville is at? You guys, is this still considered the boot hill? You're like the sophisticated part, though, at the top. You know, I was, I was deep down. I used to have friends that say, I want to go on a mission trip. And I'd just say, come to Pimascott County. It's a third world country uh, where I'm at. <laughs> but that, that is not just where I pastored at for several years. That's, um, that's home to me. I grew up in Steele, Missouri. And, um, uh, but the Lord delivered us from there two years ago. Moved us to Cape Girardeau. My wife, Monica, is on, on the front row with me. She's... She's kind of local to here. She was very, I, don't, I didn't know, um, but because I, I kept saying, I'm going to Dexter, I'm going to Dexter. My wife is from Dexter, and she's like, you're not going to Dexter, you're going to Bloomfield. And I was like, okay, I didn't know that we needed to distinguish, but I'm not in Dexter this morning, I'm in Bloomfield, and I, I know that very well now. <laughs> um, so my wife's here, I have two, two girls, y'all pray for me as often as you can, it's all women in my house, it's pink and glitter, it looks like a disco ball blew up in every room in my house. Um, I was at a men's event. We had a men's event Friday night at our church, and there was several hundred men there, and I, just, and I talked to my buddy. I said, I feel uncomfortable, and he said, why? And I was like, because it's all men and no women, and I'm not used to that. It's all women and no men at my house, but I, we have a five-month-old sitting on the third row here with my in-laws and uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old that's terrorizing your nursery at the moment, so I'll preach fast so they don't hate me. <laughs> um, Honored to be here. I do want to let you know about one thing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on pleasantries because I want to dive into the word this morning. I wrote a book last year called Dancing with Destiny. Um, if you're in a season where you're wondering, hey, what's next for me? Uh, maybe you're, you thought you were pursuing God's will and it's not turned out the way you thought it would. Or maybe you're in a different season. You're saying, I'm just trying to figure out uh, what God's will is for me. I wrote this book uh, to kind of help people that were in the same season I had walked through where um, I use the life of Moses from the time he's put in the Nile River to the time that he splits the Red Sea and, um, and how every part of that, every part of the story from killing the Egyptian to being in the desert to uh, the ten plagues, how all of that God used to map out his course to destiny and uh, dry seasons, good seasons, uh, palace seasons. And so um, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards if you want one of those. I'd love to, to get one into your hands. Let's pray together and then let's dive into the word. Father. I don't want to pray out of repetition or just to fill the moment. I, just, I want to ask God that you would anoint today. I want to ask that you would use me in spite of myself, in spite of my fears, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of the sins in my life. God, and I ask that today you would invade and take over, God, and that uh, my mouthpiece would just be an oracle for your Holy Spirit to use and to, to penetrate people's lives. I ask today for... For a few things, I ask that you give us ears to hear. I ask that you give us a mind to comprehend. And ultimately, God, I ask that you give us a heart that's willing to respond and be changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, 
Amen. Amen. It was January the 1st of this year. After feeling a gnawing on the inside of me, we had just, I, I did something that I would never encourage anybody else in, in the room to do. We bought a house, and just, that's not what I would not encourage you to do, but we bought a house and decided that it was, it was ideal to close and move the, on December the 27th, the week between Christmas and New Year's. That I would not recommend to anybody. <laughs> and we, were, we had moved and in the middle of moving, and, and we were trying to get everything set up, and I'd been just so busy and, and was trying to get everything organized. And, um, you know, people ask me now, we've been there three months, and they say, are you uh, moved in? And I said, moved in, yes. Settled, no. <laughs> uh, my garage is still full. But I don't think I've, I've honestly thought about putting $5 signs on all the boxes in the garage because I've lived without them for three and a half months. I don't think I need anything in there uh, now. But, but in the middle of all of that, in the middle of moving and the hustle and bustle, it was the first day of the year. I just felt like the Lord kind of arrested me and said to stop. So I stopped and, and I spent some time. I remember telling my wife, I've got to, I've just got to sit down with the Lord for a little bit. And I did and I sat down with the Lord. And, and, I, and I, if I'm transparent with you, this is, of all the messages that I could preach, of all the stuff that, I, that I've taught over the years, this is not the message I wanted to come today um, because it's really raw and it's really kind of reflective of me. Um, it's not the message that I wanted to start with. And honestly, because it's so fresh, it's honestly a journey that I feel like the Lord's taking me on this entire year. And, and so as we dive into this and as we expound upon this, I want, you to, I want you to see it this way. This is not a message that I'm preaching at you. As much as it is a conversation that I'm personally having with the Lord, that I'm just inviting you to eavesdrop on. Does that make sense? That, so so if, if you feel like, well... I, I'm really just talking to myself this morning, and I'm going to let you eavesdrop on my raw, intimate, nasty conversation with the Lord. And in that, in that whole thing, on January the 1st, I paused to have a moment with God. You know, I had goals, I had ambitions, I had things that I was pursuing and, and stuff that I wanted to accomplish in 2018, but I knew I didn't want to enter into this season or enter into this year without a fresh word from the Lord. And, and yes, our church had a prophetic word that our pastor was giving, and, and I had heard that, and I knew what was happening in, in the corporate body of the church that I'm connected to, but I needed something personally. I needed the Lord to sit down and kind of penetrate Chad's spirit. And so I stopped, and I needed, I needed the Lord to kind of, Breathe hope into my spirit, life to my soul. I want you to understand, I wasn't wayward. I wasn't living wrong. I've, I've been faithful. I've been productive. I, but, but have you ever been in a season where even though you were doing everything you knew to do, it still just seems so monotonous? Just, I'm going through the motions. I'm doing this to check off my box that I did it. And you see, there was, there was no excitement in my personal journey. I, I read my Bible. I prayed. I served. I preached. But it all felt so very routine. So on January the 1st, I was pouring this all out to the Lord. You know, I, God, I read my Bible all the way through. God, I preached more messages than I've preached any other year, I traveled more than I traveled. I've done all of these things. I wrote the book. I'm, I'm pursuing degrees. I'm doing everything, but, but nothing seems to satisfy me. There's, there's this holy hunger. There's just this, uh, th this holy, I don't know how to say it. I, I'm, I'm unsatisfied, and, and I don't feel like it's me being fleshly. I feel like there's something you want to do, and I need you. I need you to do it. And in my rant, I began to reflect. You see, just the day before, December 31st, I celebrated an anniversary. 
on December the 31st of 2006, I gave my life to Christ. Now, I was raised in church all of my life. As a matter of fact, I say I had a drug problem growing up because my mama drugged me to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> and so we were at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night. We grew up in the Brownsville Revival, so we all of a sudden had Tuesday night prayer meeting, Saturday morning prayer meeting, and it was me and my brother, and my mom was smart not to leave us at home alone. So we were at church more than we were at home a lot. So I, I grew up in church all my life, but December the 31st, 2006, as a senior in high school, I walked into, it was actually New Year's Eve, I walked into a church, to the church I grew up in on New Year's Eve, and I had no intentions to give my life to the Lord that night. I honestly had other plans after church. It just happened to fall on a Sunday. And I knew if I skipped church and went and did what I had planned, my mama would come find me. So I decided I'd go to church and then get my mama off my back and go do what I wanted to on New Year's Eve. And that night, the Lord uh, penetrated my heart. I gave my life to the Lord. And so it had been this last December 31st was 11 years since I really began that relationship with Jesus. And I was sitting there on the first day of January this year reflecting on the anniversary of the day before. And 11 years ago as a teenage boy, there was, there was so much excitement. There was so much anticipation. There was, you know, the way I like to word it was there was a wonder. I was so fresh in my walk with God, everything about Him astounded me. Everything about God, there was, there, I, I was just amazed. I was in awe of, of who he was. You know, it's like all of those Sunday school lessons, all of, all of the times that, that my Sunday school teacher growing up was Sister Barbie. And Sister Barbie, no, that was her real name, not her nickname. But Sister Barbie would pull out the flannel graph and tell me about Zacchaeus and tell me about Peter. And it was like in that moment, once I gave my life to the Lord, all of those lessons came alive. And I was astounded about, about the God and Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit how all of these things worked together there was a wonder a wonder then there was another sense of wonder you see I grew up I say I grew up in Steele I really grew up way out in the country I grew up in um, a little place called Denton Missouri uh, about two cornfields down was a place called Shake Rag and two cornfields that way was a place called Dogskin and a couple of county roads over was Gobbler so you know I grew up in the metropolitan area of Pemiscot County there were more stray dogs than people where I was at you know so I, I wasn't really in a in an environment that kind of encouraged you to dream real big it was an environment that you just you worked hard and you provided for your family and that's that's I mean that's what I do now but but I was I remember when I first got saved there was just something about I would sit in a recliner in the corner of my bedroom on that gravel road, and when I got saved, I just began to wonder, wonder, God, what we could do together. I wonder where we could go. I wonder what, I wonder if I'll ever serve in a church. I wonder if I'll ever preach a message. I wonder if, if we'll ever make a difference. And I just began to wonder at 17 years old, God, what will you do through me? God, what can we accomplish together? And and you know, I will say over the last decade of ministry, because it was almost like as soon as I got saved, the Lord, and I began to preach, and I began to do youth revivals and all of that, and so, so really been preaching and, and, and ministering and pastoring over the last decade. And over the last decade, a lot of those things have happened. I remember when I wondered if I'd ever preach, and now, you know, you get phone calls all the time, and, and all of those things began to happen. And you know, the more those things happened, the less I was amazed by them. You see, I think one of the greatest detriments to our wonder can sometimes be our success. 
that the more the things that I wondered if happened would happen, the less I was amazed by the fact that they were happening. And my success in, in the small realm, I don't consider myself to be a major success, but in the small realm of influence that I had, the success I experienced began to sway me to where I wasn't in wonder of God. So here I was 11 years later in a great church with major success for, for my realm in my 20s, knowing that 2018 would be some of the greatest ministry opportunities to date. And I will be honest, I had lost all wonder. And that's January the 1st, I believe the Lord gave me a scripture and I opened my Bible up to the book of Isaiah in chapter 29 and verse 14. And this is what it says. And the Lord, it was, uh, the prophet Isaiah was speaking to, to a different group of people, but it was almost like the Lord said, this is for you today, Chad. This is, this is the word that I want to speak to you for this year. And it was, therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. And, and it was just like the Lord paused and, and highlighted that scripture and said, this is just for you. I, I wrote this just for you in this moment. I will astound you with wonder upon wonder. And in that prayer time, in, in the journaling that I was doing, and in my alone time with the Lord, I felt like the Lord whispered this promise to me, Chad, I'll restore the wonder. And that's what I want to preach to you about. And again, it's more of a conversation that I'm having. I want to... I want to invite you into the conversation that I'm having with the Lord about how I will restore the wonder. You see, there's something inside of me that believes some of you may be in the same place that I found myself. You're not lost. You're not unproductive. It's just that your excitement is squelched and your wonder is gone. And I believe that today the Lord has a word for both of us. I believe God wants to restore the wonder. We have to start off by asking this Simple question, what is wonder? What is wonder? We read about God's wonder in Scripture. We talk about God's wonder in our Christian community. We've sang songs about God's wonders for, for, for decades and decades. I, I grew up on the old hymn, How Great Thou Art, that said, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made. And he goes on to say, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee how great thou art. You're in my generation, you probably grew up on a song that said, Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacles, glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders. Beyond our galaxy, you are holy. We talk about it, we read about it, we sing about it, but what is this wonder? If you look up the definition the definition that I found that I really spoke to me and was appropriate for what the Lord was doing in me says this, wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration. A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration. The way I like to describe wonder is the feeling or the anticipation we had when we initially experienced God for the first times. I would like to put it this way. It was wonder that drew us to him in the beginning. When you first experienced Jesus the first time you came to a church service or, or heard a testimony or answered an altar call or the first time someone sang a song or preached a message and there was something inside of you that was stirred, it was that wonder. There was something about God that you had never known. There was something about him that pulled you in. It was the wonder of God. I wonder 
Who is he? What's he like? How is it to have a relationship with him? There was a wonder. It was a surprise mingled with admiration. Surprise that he would love us the way that he does. And admiration that he could do all that he could do. You see, it was that wonder that caused us to read. It was that wonder that caused us to pray. It was that wonder that would cause us to serve or, or to go. You see, in the beginning when we first experienced Jesus, wonder would, triumph, wonder would trump complaint and wonder would trump frustration. Wonder would even trump knowledge because I don't know how it was for you when you first experienced Jesus or, or began to read your Bible, but I didn't know anything when I first got saved. I, I didn't know how to pray, but I still prayed. I remember sitting in worship services and didn't know when I was supposed to raise my hands or when I, when I wasn't supposed to raise my hands. So I just looked at all the super spiritual people. When they raised their hands, I raised my hands. When they didn't, I didn't. Sometimes they danced and shouted. I never was that person. I didn't do a whole lot of that. But I thought, more power to you. You know, I, I remember when I first got saved. And, and, I, we didn't, and I grew up on the King James Bible. And I read every thee, thou, and thumb in there. And I didn't, I didn't understand all of it. But, I, but there was a wonder that said there's something about this book. I have a friend that I'm, a young man that I'm mentoring and discipling right now, and his name is Garrett, and I remember a few weeks ago, he sent me a text message, and he said, hey, I woke up early this morning, really felt like I should get my word, I didn't know what to read, so I read the entire book of Revelation, and I just thought, of all the, there's 66 books, and you picked Revelation, why? Because he's new, he's fresh. There's a wonder. There's something that he doesn't know and he wants to know. There's, there's a side of God he's not encountered and he wants to encounter. There's a wonder. You see, somewhere, somehow, through professionalism, through success, through maturity, or even through familiarity, if we're not careful, we will lose our wonder. You know what I have found is if you don't wonder, you will wander. If you don't stay in wonder, you will find yourself wandering. That, that you're not lost. You're not, you're not living wayward. You're just kind of walking in your relationship with the Lord aimlessly. You've got no purpose. You've got no passion. You're in a relationship with Him, but the relationship isn't developing. It's not really going anywhere. There's no passion. There, there's no purpose. It's, it's a wandering. I'm wandering around. And if you'll allow this morning, I want to wade into a story in the lives of the disciples I want us to take a few minutes. I'm not going to go through everything I have wrote down because we'd be here too long. But I want to use the disciples' lives and when they begin to first experience Jesus to the end of their time with Jesus here on earth and the difference that happened in those moments. I want to talk to you about what it's like to live in wonder, to lose wonder, but to have wonder restored. There's four verses in Mark chapter 1 I'd like to read to you. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39 says this. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed. They're talking about Jesus. Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out 
demons. It's important. This is Mark chapter 1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Mark. We are dealing with the very early elementary stages of their interaction together. It's the very first in moments. It's the very first days. It's the very first weeks that Jesus and the disciples are getting to know each other. What's interesting about the story to me is this. It shows Jesus gets up early. He, everybody else around him is still asleep. He kind of shakes himself, gets up. He sneaks away. It's almost like Jesus is going to a prayer meeting and he's not inviting anybody else to go with him. I'm just going to get up early and I'm going to go. He seems to be sneaking away. What's interesting about this story is that it shows the disciples getting up early and going to a prayer meeting that they were not invited to in the middle of the night before it's even daylight. You know, I remember when I first became a pastor down in the boot hill and there was a group of pastors from different denominations, and they would, every Tuesday morning, they'd get together, and they'd pray, and they'd say, yeah, uh, Chad, would you like to come pray with us? And I would say, uh, yeah, what time does prayer meeting start? This was before I had kids, before I was married, and so um, 9 o'clock was early for me. And so uh, when, they, when they said, we, we meet at the churches at 7, and I was like, but some of y'all's churches are like 25 minutes away, so that means you got to get up at like 6 and leave the house at 6.30 to get there at 7. And they were like, yeah, and I was like, guys, I can't. And you are wasting your time because Jesus isn't even up yet. He doesn't, you're getting voicemail because he's not awake at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now I get up at 5 o'clock every morning just so that I can read and pray before my kids start yelling for waffles or something, you know. His disciples get up in the middle of the night. They go to a prayer meeting. They're not invited to this before daylight. It is super early. And you know what? They don't get up and go because Jesus said, you know what? Y'all better get up and come pray with me. They didn't, they didn't get up and go because Jesus had prodded them or, or scolded them and said, you know what, if I'm going to pray this early, then you better get your tail up and you better come pray with me this early. They, they, none of that. What, what was it that drew them? There was something. The relationship was so fresh. Their encounter with Jesus was so new. They were just trying to figure him out and get to know him that they could not stand the thought of being away from him. So one of them wakes up. And they see Jesus kind of skirting away and, and maybe they had the thought, I wonder where he's going. I wonder what he's doing. Their wonder drove them after him. They rustled themselves in the middle of the night. Can you picture it in their mind? In your mind as, as they wake up, they kind of you whap the sleep out of their eyes. They shake each other. One of them says, where are we going? And he says, well, he's going to pray. And he says, Did he invite us? No, then I'm going back to bed. No, you're not. Get up. We got to go see what this guy's doing. If we're going to be his disciples, we got to know everything about him. We got to wonder what he's doing. That wonder would cause them to get up. And they go and they listen to him pray you know i i've often said i wonder what it would be like to hear jesus preach but have you ever thought like what would it be like to hear jesus pray i mean consider this all right what would it be like to hear somebody pray who never had to apologize jesus never has to say lord i'm sorry and i shouldn't have and i never will again if you took i'm sorry i shouldn't have and i never will again out of my prayer life i just cut it in half that's i mean that's half of what i have to do every day Oh, I guess y'all are Jesus' second cousins tonight or today, and y'all don't know about that, but what would it be like to hear someone who has pure, undefiled communication with the Father? He never has to apologize. He never has to repent. He just, he just has this incredible relationship. 
Jesus is having pure, undefiled, unbroken, perfect communion with the Father, this perfect conversation, and the disciples cannot stand the thought of sleeping through that moment. They get up. That's what happens when you live in wonder. You see, in the early elementary stages of anybody's relationship, there's such an aspect of discovery that you can't stand to be a part. Do you remember, for those of you who are married in the room, when you first met your spouse? And you'd stay up late talking on the phone, and you'd be tired the next day going to work. You'd spend money you didn't have just to impress them, right? You'd ask questions, what's your favorite color? How many kids do you want to have? Uh, what's your favorite movie? Still Magnolias, me too. No, you're, you're lying. It's not true. Why, why do you do that? Because when you're in love or because when you're in wonder, it doesn't matter the time or the amount. Or you just There's something about the relationship that's so fresh and it means so much to you that you want to invest in that. But you see, if you ever get used to what you used to be in love with, you'll start sleeping through those moments. You'll stop asking those questions. You'll stop investing in those relationships I want to remind you please do not allow yourself to become used to who you used to be in love with and that's a good information for your for your earthly relationships but even more important in your spiritual walk with God please don't ever get used to who you used to be in love with please don't ever get into a place that I found myself just a few months ago where I was I wasn't amazed by Jesus anymore I wasn't I, the way I only know how to describe it was it went from anticipation to expectation I used to anticipate what would God do and how could God use me and the, but then after a little while I began to expect it God the phone calls better come and God the the services better happen and God the anointing better flow and I realized I had lost something I wasn't in love with him I was using him and if you ever get if you ever fall out of love with him you'll just start using that relationship to your own benefit and then we miss the entire purpose of a walk with God you know passion passion is not a natural consequence of longevity our pastors pastor Gary and Rose just this week celebrated 44 years of marriage and they seem to be from what I can tell and I see a lot of them publicly and privately as in love today as they've ever been and I have I have pastor has said in staff meetings instead and we're we're hunting buddies we've sat in tree stands we've done all of this stuff and he's always talked to me about relationships and marriage and I've understood through our conversations with him and through watching his marriage that passion is not a natural consequence of longevity they didn't just fall in love 44 years ago and wind up where they are today they kept investing they kept spending time together they kept having conversations and you know what it's the same thing in our walk with God sometimes we think that just because we've been in church all of our life or we've been serving the Lord the last 15 years that we should we should have as much passion now as we did in the beginning but that's not true you look at church members you look at people sometimes the most grumpy of church members are those who have been in the church the longest why because they got more married to their tradition than they did their relationship they got more married to their role in the church than they did having an encounter with God and if we're not careful that that longevity will kill passion and we'll we'll be we'll be faithful and we'll serve and we'll do things in the church but we'll have no reason behind that we just do it because it's what we've always done so if you've been doing this for a long time, I commend you, man. 
I'm so thankful for people who have served the Lord and who have built churches like this so that a generation like mine can come in and stand on your shoulders. But please do something else for me. Don't just build great churches and, and pave ways. Leave legacies where I don't just look and say, man, I'm thankful they left a church. I want to look at people and say, I want to burn like they burned. I don't want to be in my 20s hoping that they would catch what I have. I want to be in my 20s saying, when I'm 65, I want to love the Lord the way they love the Lord. When I'm 70, I want to have a prayer life the way they have the prayer life. Well, burn for as long as you can. These disciples get to go on a journey of a lifetime. It's a journey I have peered enviously into for years. I would have so many questions if I was talking to the Lord. I would have so many questions if I was with Jesus. But you know what I am learning? I'm beginning to understand that God is still wanting someone to fall in love with him and begin to ask questions of him. God, what's your favorite color? All of them. I created the rainbow. God, what's your assignment for my life? God, what's your schematic? God, what's your vision for me? God, what's your plan? What's your destiny? Who is it that I'm supposed to marry? Who's going to be my wife? Who's going to be my husband? God, what ministry should I leave? God, what ministry, what missionary should I invest my money into? You see, I'm learning that he is looking for somebody that is back to the love affair that's willing to sit with him through the night and just ask questions. Just sit, just listen, just be. They'll get up and go to prayer meetings they weren't invited to because they can't be separated from him that long. You see, God wants to restore our wonder. I wish that the story stopped here. I wish that I could say, hey, let's read Mark chapter 1. These guys, they went to that prayer meeting. They stayed in love with him all of their life. But the Bible keeps going. And at the end of Mark, we, I won't read all of it to you. But you can write this down and go back and read it later. Mark 14. There's 10 verses in Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. Actually, this conversation would, be, would happen some thousands of years ago on what we would consider this Friday, Good Friday. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He invites three of his disciples to join him at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he begins to pray. He tells them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Will you watch and pray with me? So you see in Mark chapter 1, they went to a prayer meeting they weren't invited to. In Mark 14, he tells them, I desperately need you to pray right now. I need you to be participating in this prayer meeting. And he goes away and he prays and he comes back. And you know what they're doing? They're sleeping. He goes back a second time. They come back and they're sleeping. And he goes back a third time. And he comes back and they are asleep again. What happened? In Mark 1, they were going to prayer meetings they weren't invited to. In Mark 14, he says, I desperately need you to pray. And they're asleep. Do you remember what it was like to be in chapter 1 when the love affair was so fresh that there was nothing that you wouldn't do? The wonder was so real. That love you had when somebody could sing Amazing Grace out of tune and in the wrong key. And tears would still stream down your face. My pastor used to get up with a, with a piano and just him, and he would sing, I exalt thee. And tears would stream down my face just because I had, I had understood that it wasn't that great. He didn't, have, he didn't have a record deal. Nobody was asking him to come and sing at the, the potluck singings in our neighborhood. Nobody was doing any of that. 
So it wasn't the music that made me emotional. It was the fact that I had understood my life mission was to exalt him. And there was a wonder. Because when you're in wonder, it doesn't have to sound just right. It doesn't have to be your favorite song. And when you're in wonder, it doesn't even have to be your style. Do you remember what it was like to be in wonder? Do you remember what it was like to hear the favorite song on the radio and you'd have to pull over because you were crying so hard because God was so moving in your life that you were in wonder? I believe God wants to restore our wonder. I believe He wants to rekindle the love affair that's why the church in Ephesus would receive a letter and they'd say you've done seven out of eight things right nevertheless I have this one thing against you you've left your first love it's not that you don't love me it's not that you don't have a relationship with me you let your first love you don't love me like you did in the beginning they lost their wonder do you remember what it was like to live and wonder what happened in chapter 1 they're going to prayer meetings they're not invited to in chapter 14 they can't stay awake for prayer meetings they desperately need to attend what happened between chapter 1 and chapter 14 you know water water didn't get turned into wine until after chapter 1 he'd never done a miracle in chapter 1 when they go to that prayer meeting he had never done a miracle what happened between chapter 1 and chapter 14? He would go and he would wipe blindness out of Bartimaeus' eyes and they were there to see it. What happened between chapter 1 and chapter 14? In Mark 3, they would go to the church house, they would go to the synagogue and a man with a withered hand would stretch out his hand and he'd get a brand new hand and they were there to see it. What happened between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 14? Jesus is preaching at somebody's house one day and the crowd is so full that they can't get a friend in and so four men carry a paralytic up onto the roof of a man's house. They don't know. They tear a hole in his roof and they drop that man down and he gets up and he walks out and they saw all of that. What happened between Mark chapter 1 in Mark chapter 14, they went to Jairus' daughter's bedroom and they saw him bring back to life the 12-year-old body of a dead girl. What happened between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 14? Ten lepers outside of the gate of a city of Samaria got brand new skin and one of them got everything made whole and they were there to see it. What happened between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 14? They're on a journey. They get outside of a city called Nain. They see a funeral procession and Jesus is moved with compassion and he hands back the body of a dead boy to his mama brings him back to life and they saw all of it what am I trying to teach you what am I trying to show you it's not what he will do it's not the stuff that he can do it wasn't the stuff that kept them in love it's the man it doesn't matter listen if he never does another thing for you he's still worthy of wonder if he never does another miracle in your life he's still worthy of falling in love it's not the stuff that'll wake you up it's the man that'll wake you up what happened between chapter 1 and chapter 14? In chapter 1, they were so desperately in love, they watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle, and it was not the miracles that could keep them in love. Let me tell you, he can grow this church. He can do it to multiple services. He can heal your marriage. He can, he can heal your body. He can save your kids. He can do all of that stuff. But if you don't work on your personal relationship with him, it'll never do it for you. 
if I, if I took this headset off and put it on somebody else's ear and let them tell, tell their testimony of what all God had done for them, we would be amazed. Because He's done it for all of us. It's not the stuff. It's Him. It's Him. Are you in chapter 1 or are you in chapter 14? Are you still in that part of your walk with the Lord that is surprised, mingled with admiration? I remember, I remember when I first got saved, I'm just going to sit down and talk to you for a minute and then we're going to go. I remember when I first met the Lord in that, on that gravel road in Denton, Missouri. I didn't know a whole lot, but I loved him. I never knew if I'd preach a message. I never knew if I would pastor a church. I never knew any of that stuff. I never knew any. I never knew where the Lord would take me, but, but I'd get up early. We lived way out in the country, and my mama didn't love us enough to take us to school, so we had to ride the school bus. And so the school bus showed up at 6.45. I had to get up early. And I'd get up early, and I'd get up and I'd pray. And again, I didn't, I didn't know how to pray. Matter of fact, my, the, only, the only person I had ever really seen pray was my mom. And every time, man, I, every time I came in and, and mom was praying, she would be laid out, just sprawled out on her, on her face. I'm not going to demonstrate it for you, but you know what I mean. Just on her belly, laid out. In the, and I would always, like she would always pick the living room, and I'd always get mad because I'm like, Mom, that's where the TV's at. You're speaking in tongues. I can't watch TV, and you speak in tongues at the same time. Can you go pray somewhere else? My mom believed in two things growing up. She believed in spare the rod and spoil the child and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So uh, she used to beat us while she prayed in tongues all the time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She hates that joke. She really gets mad at me when I tell it. But I didn't know how to pray, but I watched my mama pray on her face all of her, all my life. And so I just get to lay down on the floor. I remember when I went off to college? And I, 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 didn't, I, didn't know any, I didn't know any different. I didn't know that wasn't the appropriate posture for prayer. So I was laid out on the floor crying one day. My college roommate, Dakota, came in. And Dakota said, what's wrong with you? And I was like, uh, nothing. I'm just praying. You pray like that? Wow. Yeah. You know, I remember I used to, when I first preached, when I first was asked to preach, I'd get up. And there was never a time I wouldn't get behind a pulpit. I would always have a suit and tie on. Always have a suit and tie on. Why? Because every man of God I'd ever known in my life wore a suit and tie. And I just wanted to be a man of God, so I figured you had to wear a suit and tie. Now, you know what I understand now? God was, God was never moved by the way I dressed, but it was the heart that provoked that that he responded to. I'd get in. We didn't. We didn't have a lot, you know. We had, we had music like we had now. We didn't. I remember we, the Crab family showed up at Winterfest one year, and that was like heaven on earth, you know. <laughs> and I'd listen to the Crab family and and Carmen, but Carmen didn't sing a lot. He just talked a whole lot and with music behind him. Anybody ever done a Carmen drama in the room? Anybody? You in the back. I know you're saved and going to heaven. You in the back too. All right. We didn't, we, didn't have, we didn't have this. We didn't have none of this. We didn't have, we didn't have, 
you guys got more guitars on stage than my whole church had and all of them. You know, we didn't have any of that stuff. The stuff is great, but it doesn't take the stuff. And you can come to this church all your life and you can hear all this great music and you can hear Pastor Dwight preach great messages, but until you experience him, until you love him, until you, until you restore that wonder with him, none of this will ever do it for you. I'm thankful for the stuff. I'm thankful for the lights. I'm thankful I don't got to wear a suit and tie every Sunday. I do most Sundays still, but not every. I'm thankful for all of that, but more importantly, I'm just thankful for a relationship with him. I want to read a scripture to you. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 says, They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders. They weren't mindful of your wonders that you did among them. They hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. So he's, he, Nehemiah is telling the people, you, you did all of these wonders, and they turned away. They didn't care about any of the wonders you did for them. They got a leader, they went back to bondage. But you, oh God, you are ready to pardon. You're gracious and you're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in kindness. And you did not forsake them. What's he saying? These people lost their wonder. These people turned their back on all the things that you had done for them. They got, they got wayward and complacent and they lost their passion. But you, God, you were ready to pardon. You were gracious. You were merciful. You were slow to anger. You restored wonder back to them. tell you this morning God wants to restore your wonder if, you're, if you've kind of gotten a little off not, not wrong not living in sin but you're just not passionate God wants to restore your wonder I have a two year old daughter her name is Kendall June my wife the other day went to the dollar store and saw a ball a little bouncy ball that you throw on the ground and it lights up and she bought it for her, and we brought it home. And said, Kendall, look, Mommy bought you something. And, and I remember Mommy bounced that ball, and it lit up. And my, my two-year-old sat there, and it was just like, it was just a really spiritual moment for me because her mouth dropped, and she said, wow. That's exactly what she did. She said, wow. And I could see the wonder. Just a little dollar ball with a light in it. But there was a wonder. And it was like in that moment God spoke to my heart and said, that's what I want to do for you. I want to do things. And you just drop your jaw and say, wow. I want to meet with you in your bedroom. And you just drop your jaw and say, wow. I want you to have prayer time like you've done all of these years. But I want to, I want to meet you in your prayer time like I never had before. And you just drop your jaw and you say, wow. I want to meet with you in your services like, a, like you've experienced, but I want to do it in a way that you just drop your jaw and you say, wow. You see, Bloomfield and, and Dexter and Stoddard County, they don't, they don't need a good church. They need a God of wonders that when they walk into this good church, they say, wow. Not wow preaching, not wow music, not wow building, but wow God. Wow. God, 